All right, everybody, welcome to New Life Church. My name's Jeff. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Yeah? How many of you guys are excited to be at church today? Come on. Are you? Me too. Me too. Me too. I'm excited to be here. I love it. I love it. Uh, I've loved the, the last few weeks that we've had around here at New Life have just been energizing and exciting. Uh, you know, if you, were, uh, if you were not here, I just need to make sure to roll out this uh, big idea that, you know, we're, we're getting ready to launch another campus out in Ogallala where we've got uh, a group of now New Lifers that are out there, about 30, some of them that are already out there. They're a part of what we're doing. And uh, I just want to say, welcome. Welcome to you uh, in, the, uh, at the, in the Ogallala. You guys might be worshiping with us online today. You might be worshiping with us at the North Platte campus. But we're all praying for some date later on in fall where we can launch that campus and go live on a Sunday morning. So exciting things are happening here at New Life Church in your personal life, you know, with the, with the whole church. And we're all working together to build God's kingdom one person at a time. One person at a time. That's where we're at today. So, look, we're talking about this concept, driving force. Like, all of us have driving forces of our lives. They're the things that, like, cause you to wake up in the morning, right? Like, they're that driving force that says, today is worth living. Today is worth giving it your best. Uh, those driving forces that, like, pick you back up when you are going through the most difficult day you've ever walked through. That driving force that says, you know, um, look, the, life's not going to be as bad as this tomorrow. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep focused on what, what, I'm, what I'm doing and I'm going to keep moving forward. And Jesus teaches us this, that the driving force of our life should be surrender to him and surrender to his word. And that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus would teach us. But we all know, because we're all human, right, that we live on a, we live on a planet we live in a world where there are all kinds of other things that want to be our driving force, and they are hungry to be it as well. And these things, really, if they're left unchecked, will always, always, not sometimes, they will always, the things of this world, if they become your driving force, they will always separate you from Christ. Meaning, in your relationship. Now, you look, you might, you might love God, but it's going to be hard to get close to him. You might know him, but it's going to be hard to really kind of like trust him because the driving forces of your life, they will consume your trust. They will consume your love over time. And today I just want to talk to you about a driving force of your life. So guys, remember, like I'm 49 years old. How many of you guys remember back in the days where uh, TVs didn't have remote controls, but we were the remote? How many of you have no clue what I'm talking about at all? And it's okay. It's good. It's good. Okay, many of you, many of you. All right, for like the last couple of decades, right? That's how, that's how long it's been. Uh, we didn't have to like say to our kid, like me, hey, Jeff, go change the channel to channel 13, right? Because that was the kid's job, which isn't so bad, by the way. I get up out of my seat because no seats reclined other than, you know, dad's recliner. You guys with me on this one? You understand what I'm saying? And if you had that, that was bonus. No seats reclined, so I just like, you know, roll out of the couch or whatever, walk up to the TV, click, click, click. It's all very analog, right? Click, 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 channel 13. I start back to the seat, and my body next to the TV affected the signal. And by the time I got back to the seat, my dad's saying, go back and, you know, turn that fine tune, right? Or turn those rabbit ears. And so you're back up there, and you're like... <laughs> 
until you get from your mom or your dad like, that's good, son. And then you can make your way back to your seat. Okay, that was old school days. Not bad days, just old school days. All right, right. I don't want to go back there, though. So let's leave that old school, all right? Let's just leave it there. Because today, today there's this thing called the remote. It's been around for decades if you don't know what it is. And now we fight over who's going to have control of the remote. So before it was we, the kids fought over who was going to be the remote. Now we fight over who's going to have the remote. Because we all know that when you got the remote, you have control, right? That's why it's remote. Are you guys with me today? All right. We're still talking about the same topic, right? Because you have control. But now it's kind of like out of the dozens of remotes that you have, which remote is the most powerful? Is it the like surround sound system remote? Or is it, yeah, all right. Is it the actual TV remote? Is it the cable remote? Is it the Apple TV remote or the Roku remote or the DVD player remote or the universal remote if you're one of those people? I mean, some homes, my parents' home. Hi, mom, dad. They watch every week, by the way. In fact, that's how I know if, like, tech-wise something happens and the sermon doesn't get uploaded, something goes wrong, I'll find out from my mom. I can't watch your sermon. Well, she doesn't sound like that. <laughs> Can we edit that part out? <laughs> she sounds more like... Hey, sweetie, I love you. <laughs> I really want to watch the sermon. Okay. Wow, that was a bad one right there. But if you're like my parents' house, you really have to like, I don't understand how that whole system works because they really do. Like my dad sits down and he's got like three or four remotes and they each get used for different things. And so, you know, if you want to watch a certain show, but you got the surround sound remote, well, hey, good luck. You're not watching it. See what I'm saying? So which remote you have is obviously important. Here's, here's what I'm driving at. The driving force of your life is like the remote. The driving force. Like that thing inside of you that's causing you to wake up. It's causing you to push through another day. It's like a remote control, and it's dictating to you how you're going to live, when you're going to live it, right? And maybe like how you're going to get it done and why you're going to do it. So can you imagine with me just for a moment giving that kind of power to one person on this earth and giving them the remote control of your life so that they can dictate to you where you're going to go, when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, and why you're going to do it. Can you imagine giving that remote to one person on this earth? That would be like slavery today. That's what it would be like. Be like slavery again, because that's what it is. So now, now think with me, this is exactly what we do when we let anger and resentment be driving forces in our life. Anger and resentment are the topic I want to talk about today in the driving force series. Because when those things are a part of the driving force of your life, it's as if you have surrendered the remote control to another entity and it now dictates how you're going to live your life. Anger. Anger is that thing that happens at that moment when someone offends you. When they look at you wrong, when they say something to you wrong, right? When they treat you wrong, anger, it just kind of like, boom, it swells up. And anger started, guys, when we were just kids. We would hit kids, 
bite kids, scream at kids because they stole our toy. And all of us in here did it. Everybody in North Platte did it. Okay? We all do this kind of thing. We're, we, were, we were kind of wired this way. It kind of started out this way when we became teenagers and adults. Some of us have a short fuse. And this short fuse kind of like, it still is activated today into this form of a temper um, or rage. Even you find anger in our marriages where we're committed to one another, but there's anger that, that swells up because we're not on the same page on how we're going to spend money or how we're going to lead the kids or a decision that we're going to make. And then we get angry with each other. We have anger in our cars while we're driving down the road. Not me, but you. Road rage, right? I'm being facetious. We've all, some of us have experienced that more than others. And some of you just need to let it go, right? It's not the Indianapolis 500, people, right? You're driving around your town. Save lives. Drive the speed limit. All right, so people are going to make mistakes. So we get road rage and anger. It shows up. Anger started back in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, you find here that Adam and Eve have two sons, uh, that, are, that are talked about. They have had more, more children than that, but Cain and Abel. Cain is the farmer. Abel is the rancher. God has instructed them that what they're to do is to bring the best of the first, bring their tithe to him as a gift and as an offering to him. And so the, God instructed them. And now Cain decides, you know what? I'm not going to bring the best of the first, but I'll bring an offering to God. And he's going to try to fool God He's not going to give him a tithe. He's not going to give him the 10% of the best of the first. He's going to give him like 5 or 8% of some of the leftovers. And that's what Cain brings. And then Abel brings the best of the first. And I want you to listen to what God did and how Cain responded to it. Take a look at Genesis chapter 4. It says that the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry. And he looked dejected. And I love this. I love how the Bible does this. Like, this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Verse 6, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain, right? Why, why do you look so dejected? Like, Cain had no reason to be angry. No reason. He knew what he was supposed to do. He chose not to do it. It's not anybody else's fault other than his. But he decides he's going to redirect all of that anger. And all of that injustice towards his brother. And this is exactly what he does. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go out to the fields. You want to throw the ball around or help me do some farming or whatever they were going to do? Walk down by the river. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Like for no good reason, anger, it, it shows up early in the Bible and it, it causes the very first murder to ever take place. How does anger do that? Because anger, it, 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 like, it blinds you. It gives you this tunnel vision. It, it takes over a person where a person can't even think rational thoughts anymore. And then unchecked anger, it transforms the heart like it did for Cain into something that God never intended for man. And this is exactly like the story you see here, we live out. We just don't murder others. But we blame others for things that we've done. We point our finger at others instead of 
like owning our own wrongs. So maybe you don't act out in a physical violence with your anger. But I'll tell you this, if you don't let the anger go, then it does morph, it changes, it comes into a form of your emotions and it runs its course in your emotions like a cancer inside of you. Mark Twain said this about anger. He said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. And that is true. When anger's undealt with, and it moves to the emotions, it just, it starts to fester like an acid and it starts to corrode inside of you. And then one of the forms that anger starts to take on in your emotions then is resentment. See, resentment is different than anger because resentment is like, is resentment something that can last for months, years, even decades. Resentment is that feeling now that you have towards someone, even though you can't remember the details of it anymore, you just still res you resent them. And when their name comes up, it stirs this resentment in your heart. Or when you think about them, it stirs this resentment in your heart. It's moved beyond anger to resentment. And resentment is a wicked master that will control you far beyond, far beyond the offense and far beyond the moment of anger. Resentment is anger undealt with that has just been subdued into the emotions that just festers for decades. Some of you, and I prayed about this, these next words that I'm going to share with you, I might read some of them because I just felt so like strong that some of the things I'm getting ready to say are directly for one, two, or 10 of you. But there'll be great examples for the rest of you. But I'm just telling you right now, the next words I'm getting ready to say, I think are words that God wants to use to speak directly to some of you that are here today in North Platte or you're listening online a year from now that some of you are driven by resentment to outperform your father because of the pain and the hurt that he caused you. And that's what's motivating you right now. It's what wakes you up in the morning. I'm gonna be better than that man. Because what that man said about me is not gonna be, it's not gonna be the case. How that man hurt me is not gonna be my outcome. And you wake up with resentment to outperform him because of that. Some people pat you on the back for the good work you do but you know that the fuel source you're operating from is wicked. Some of you are driven by resentment to prove something to your boss because you feel overlooked and underappreciated. You don't come into work with the, with the right attitude. You, you have to put a mask on over it because it's the resentment that's causing you to go in and you're trying to go above and beyond and you're compromising things in your own life because you're trying to prove something to another man or another woman on this earth and you're being driven by your own resentment. Some of you, listen carefully, some of you are driven by resentment to stay in your marriage because you are going to be the one who gave up and filed for divorce. It's not about love anymore. It's about the resentment towards them and you're gonna to try to outlast them with your own resentment because you don't wanna be the one who takes the action to file for divorce. You don't wanna be the one that has your name in that capacity. And so this resentment is what's keeping you in there. There's nothing healthy, it's all toxic, and it's all being ripped apart. Some of you are driven by resentment because you chose to assume the worst about someone without ever having a face-to-face -face meeting with them. You just assume the worst. 
Something happened, something went down. You're not man or woman enough to go face to face with a person and have an actual, you know, adult conversation that resolves an issue. And so you assume the worst. And that's what you're living with now is the resentment of that. And that's caused some of you to never show up to another family event. It's caused some of you to leave the last church that you came from and you showed up at New Life with still unresolved issues in your past. And some of you may even stop going to the gym because that person's there at the exact same time. Resentment has this wicked control and this wicked force over us that drives us to do the things that are insane. And resentment over time only hurts one person. And it's not the person that you resent. It always comes back to hurt you. In fact, it's been said. It's been said by, I would consider someone wise because I don't know who made this statement. But it's been, this is what's been said. Holding a resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's a crazy thought. Resentment is like you drinking the poison, sitting the cup down on the table and waiting for them to pass out. When the whole time the room starts spinning in your head, you're the one that gets the vertigo. And you're the one that over time, spiritually, the heart stops. So resentment, it affects you long after the person who offended you, the person that offended you, forgot they offended you, but resentment is still alive inside of your heart. So stop letting the past Stop letting the past control you. The only way that the that people that have caused pain and hurt in your life in the past can continue to cause pain and hurt in your life today and in the future is by you holding on to resentment against them. So let's get to the real stuff. What do you do with this? How do you break the driving force of anger and resentment? So look, if you got a one-page bulletin, on the back of it is space for you to write. I'm gonna give you five things. One of these five things, God's definitely going to be speaking to you about to take action on. Because look, anger and resentment stirs up in all of our lives. So for you today, it might be microscopic in its nature, or it might be massive and controlling you, or it's going to come next week. So, or you know somebody that is just, they're driving forces, anger and resentment. So these things I'm going to give you are practical things that you can go and apply to your life today. How do you break the driving force of anger and resentment? Here's where it starts. Number one, pray for those who've offended you and forgive them. It's pretty simple. A lot harder to do. So here's what, uh, here's, what the, here's what God's word says about that in Mark 11. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Uh, can I just tell you guys as your pastor, this is my go-to. This is my go-to. As a leader, and anybody that's a leader in here, then, then you understand what it means to be a leader. That you can never please everybody, but you've got to make decisions every single day. And so you're knowing that when you're making decisions, you're trying to be as wise as you can. You're trying to take in the counsel of others, but eventually you have to make a decision, and the ripple effect of that is going to cause people to not like that decision, and then you've got to face the criticism of it. That's just what it means to be a leader. And as I pray for others, that, let's, just use the word, let's just use criticism as an example. As I pray for others who criticize me 
for decisions that I've made, when they don't understand everything that goes into making that decision, I've found that God has given me a grace and a love for those who criticize. This is just one example for me. That God actually starts to change my heart. And this is what I've learned over time, leaders, managers, people that oversee others. You know what the difference, the, the, the differentiating thing between a great leader and an average leader is? Is that a great leader can receive the criticism, but not let it turn into resentment. An average leader takes the criticism, turns into resentment, and then they walk, they walk the rest of their, their, their leadership and management out. That's the difference between those two things. So pray for those who offend you and forgive them. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. And as resentment tries to keep its grip on your life a month from now, because all of a sudden their name comes up or you find yourself in public and you're face to face with them, and there it is again. Pray for them again. You pray for them as often as anger and resentment stirs in your heart, you pray for them. And over time, that's broken. That driving force is broken. Number two, return good for evil. Return good for evil. Here's what Romans 12 has to say about it. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. That's it's kind of interesting, right? You serve them. Guys, look, even if you aren't given an opportunity to serve them, please, please remember this. Don't return, don't return evil with evil. Don't respond with evil. So even if you aren't given an opportunity to serve them, don't do that. One of the ways that we return evil with evil that we justify our actions with is through gossip and complaining to the wrong people. Did you realize that? Like, not just gossip, I'm talking about the way we complain about other people to the wrong people. Like be very, very particular who you talk through your resentment issues with because you're gonna have to talk them through with somebody. I'm not saying bottle it up and keep it to yourself, but make sure you go to the right person and you talk about the right things. Or otherwise, you're responding with evil through gossip and even the complaining that justifies why you were right. But if you are given the opportunity to serve them, you do it. And you know what? One of the most simple ways to serve a person that you might have anger and resentment towards, one of the most simple ways to do that is when you find them, because we live in smaller towns. When you find them in public or you find them at church, go out of your way to shake their hand, look them in the eye, and tell them hello. And if there's any conversation that gets sparked, ask them about their day. Ask them about how life is going. Like honestly care about what's going on. It's one of the ways that you can break it. You're gonna have to step out from your little bubble, step out of that, go to them, and, and just find out what's going on in their life. It will help, because you're gonna return good. You're gonna return good for the evil. Here's number three. Trust the Lord to repay a person for their actions. Trust the Lord to do that instead of you. We like to be the one that repays others for their actions. But this is what God's, <clears throat> excuse me, this is what God's word says about it in Romans 12. It says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. 
Resist that, guys. Even the apostle Paul, I mean, a guy who wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody, he knew God more than you and me could ever know God, he dealt with this, and he had to respond correctly. Look what he said in 2 Timothy 4.14. He goes, hey, look, guys, look, Alexander the coppersmith, he did me much harm. He offended me. Right? But the Lord will judge him for what he's done. Instead of Paul going, he's done me much harm, let's attack that guy. He basically says, look, the Lord's going to deal with him. Now, look, the wise thing is this. Keep your distance. He's caused me much harm, and I don't think he's changed. Keep your distance. However, don't try to fix the situation for me. The Lord is going to be the one who deals with it. You guys, when we trust the Lord to repay a person for their actions, it's not that we're asking the Lord to, like, you know, make their day hellish. That's not it. We should be praying for those who wound us, praying for those who offend us, praying for those where anger and resentment are trying to stir up. But then let's leave it to the Lord to rectify situations instead of trying to fix them all on our own. You wanna break the chains of anger and resentment? You wanna remove that as your driving force? Number four, redirect your, fo your focus toward God. Redirect your focus. Like, get your eyes back on Jesus. Colossians 3 says this, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. I mean, just think about what it would be like if we woke up day after day, getting closer and closer to the reality that, look, this life is temporary, but my relationship with God is going to last forever. Just think about how that would change you. Think about how it would, it would revolutionize even the way that you think. I know this, that when we turn our hearts back to God, God always gives us the roadmap to resolve the pain of anger and resentment towards others. When you turn your heart back to him, when you turn your heart back to him by going, God, I need to know you more in your word. He directs us in his word to scriptures that are like the keys that unlock the heart. When we turn our heart back to him in prayer, he speaks to us. And he speaks to us gently, but he gives us the next step we need to take to resolve the issues that we might have with others. Redirecting your, fo your focus toward, uh, toward God is a key, it's a key piece here, number four. Number five, the last one. Get busy doing God's work. Just get busy doing his work. Maybe I should say it this way. Stay busy doing God's work. Here's what Hebrews 6 has to say about this. It says, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. As long as you have breath, keep loving others in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and their endurance. Look, loving others as long as life lasts is a key. Anger and resentment will keep you from showing true love to others. Anger and resentment will cause your, your life 
to leave an aftertaste in other people's lives that after they hang out for you a little while, then they find out who you really are and they don't want to be a part of your life. Anger and resentment, it taints your ability to love all, not just some. Not just some. I love how it says, look, if you do these things, then you will not become spiritually dull. That's what resentment does over time, is it dulls you spiritually from knowing God's heart and being able to love others. Because resentment is like, it, it's, uh, it, it doesn't just take over the little part of your heart about that one person, it starts corroding like the acid all of your heart. And eventually, not only do you have anger and resentment towards one, but now it's towards others. And pretty soon you just become the angry person. You become the resentful person. You become the person that everybody's got a fault and you're ripping everybody down. So let me just ask you this. In the last minute I've got with you, what are you gonna do with anger and resentment today? Because it's in your hands. What are you gonna do with it? Whether it's the microscopic or it's the massive. What are you gonna do? And let me encourage you, let me encourage you to give it up and forgive. I wanna take you back to the action step I think we should all start with. Mark 11, when you're praying or when you've come to worship, when you've come to seek the Lord, like we have all come today to seek him, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins. Look, we're getting ready to move into a time of worship. Anger and resentment are gonna taint your worship from being pure to the Lord. Your first step should be to forgive them in your heart towards God. Forgive them so that your worship over these next few moments can be pure and righteous to the Lord. I guarantee you, if you take that step, God's gonna speak some truth to you today that's gonna help you follow this out and you're gonna hear his voice more clearly than you would have otherwise. Take this first step and let's purify our lives so that our worship's pure to him. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, your example of the way you lived your life, it's spoken of in your word. And it says that you did not become resentful towards those who criticized you. You did not attack back at those who attacked you. You didn't even defend yourself in the kangaroo court of your own trial. But you let your father deal with it. Let your father repay those who crucified you. May we have just a little bit of that today. We don't have people that are trying to crucify us necessarily in physical death, but maybe we have people that are trying to crucify us emotionally. You might have people that are trying to crucify us in a business or at our job site or in the family. There's people that are attacking, wanting to take us down or whatever it is that people are faced with. Maybe it's from their past and they just haven't been able to let go of it and they've been wondering why, God, it doesn't feel like I can get any closer to you. And today was the day that you spoke truth to their life. And if they'll take action today, they're gonna find a closeness with you like they've never felt before. Lord, today's word of this driving force is one that our world justifies, but your word condemns. It's one that our world says, Anger and resentment are good because they will defend you from future pain. But your word it attacks that philosophy 
It says, let you be the judge. Let you deal with those things. Lord, there are things in our lives that we will never be able to fix on our own. But the one thing that we can, our heart, we bring to you today. We, don't, we can choose whether the driving force of our life will be anger and resentment or, will the, or, or the driving force will be you, Christ, and your word. So today, Jesus, we surrender to you. And we invite your will to be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.